0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Coming up on this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch, as the average price at the pump hovers just under $5 a gallon, that actually $4.95. This afternoon, President Biden promised relief for Americans. Today I'm calling on Congress to suspend the federal gas tax For the next 90 days, through the busy summer season, busy travel season. Now that's uh, 18 cents a gallon. So basically, for every $135 you pay for gas, the president's tax suspension will allow you to buy another gallon. Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell called the announcement a, quote, political stunt. And earlier today, the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell was on Capitol Hill stating that further interest rate hikes were coming in the effort to control inflation. As to the cause of the record inflation, the chairman has a different view than President Biden.
2: Given how inflation has escalated over the past 18 months, would you say that the war in Ukraine is the primary driver of inflation in America? No, inflation was
1: high before, certainly before the uh, war in Ukraine broke up. That was Chairman Powell responding to a question from Tennessee Senator Bill Haggerty. We'll talk with Texas Congressman Kevin Brady, ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee, in just a moment. And gun control enthusiasts are hailing it as a victory. After 30 years of them being blocked, a bipartisan deal has been reached. I will now take the first steps to
3: move this life-saving legislation on the Senate floor for a vote. With an initial procedural vote tonight, and following that, we will move to final passage as soon as possible. I expect the bill to pass the Senate by the week's end.
1: That was Senate Democrat leader Chuck Schumer yesterday. What does the proposal include, and will it work? We'll talk with uh, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley a little bit later. Now, here is a headline that could be from the Babylon Bee, but it's from the Associated Press, and it was this morning, and this is it, quote, heightened alert. Abortion providers brace for ruling, end quote. While not able to cite a single act of violence against an abortion clinic since the Dobbs draft opinion was leaked, the AP said the abortion clinics and the police are preparing for an increase in violence once the opinion is released. It, excuse me. Um, the violence has already started. Now, I understand it doesn't fit their narrative, But we're approaching nearly 60 60 pro life clinics, churches, and other pro life organizations that have been vandalized and even fire mobbed. Two more just this week. So, why is the Biden administration not condemning the left's acts of violence?
3: The Department of Justice will not even condemn or stop illegal intimidation mobs today. And they. Leading you to ask, are they really prepared to protect the safety and civil
1: rights of American citizens after the court issues high-profile rulings? That was Republican Senate Leader Mitch McConnell earlier today on the Senate floor. We'll discuss the topic when Jim Harden, CEO of Compass Care Pregnancy Services in Buffalo, New York, whose offices were firebombed earlier this month. Also, Andy McCarthy, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Well, join us to discuss the federal government's weak response to the actual violence that's been taking place. Also, uh, as we mentioned yesterday, major religious liberty case dealing with schools, voucher programs, and religious education coming out of the state of Maine. We're going to be talking about that with First Liberty a little bit later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Everything's archived there and lots of resources available for you at TonyPerkins.com. Also, Washington Stand, have you visited it yet? That is the website where we have news and commentary from a biblical perspective. Washingtonstand.com. June 30th is the end of FRC's fiscal year. This is when we determine what we'll be able to do in the coming year based upon the support of our partners. Now, as I have said, uh, FRC receives no government money. We're able to advocate for biblical truth here and right here in our nation's capital and across this country because of folks like you that are standing with us and never, never has it been more important to encourage and equip Christians to pray, to vote, and to stand for truth in our nation. Will you stand with me? I have team members standing by to take your call at 800-225-4008. That's 800 800- 225-4008. They'll be taking calls throughout the program. Or you can visit TonyPerkins.com to partner with us before the June 30th deadline. The word from for today, coming from our stand on the Word Bible reading plan, is found in 1 Chronicles 7, verse 2. The sons of Tola were mighty men of valor in their generations. Their number in the days of David was 22,600. Now, the Bible lauds what today's culture condemns, true masculinity. You know, our nation needs courageous men who will stand up to the godless forces of our day, which are devouring our children and endangering our future. To join us in the Bible reading plan, simply go to frc.org slash Bible. By the way, I invite you to join me each morning Monday through Friday at 844 a.m. for a short devotional based upon the daily reading. You can access it on my Facebook page or at TonyPerkins.com. And one more thing. This Friday and Saturday, I'll be speaking at the Louisiana Republican Party's Victory 2022 at the Cajun Dome in Lafayette, Louisiana. On Friday, I'll be moderating a discussion with uh, Dr. Ben Carson on priorities in a post-Row world. And we'll be broadcasting from there Friday. To find out more about it, go to TonyPerkins.com. We'd love to see you there. Right. Earlier this afternoon, President Biden called upon Congress to suspend the federal gas tax for 90 days, a move that uh, then-president, presidential candidate Barack Obama back in 2008 had called a gimmick.
4: But for us to suggest that 30 cents a day for three months is real relief, that that's a real energy policy means that we are not tackling the problem that has to be tackled. We are offering gimmicks.
1: Well, in his announcement, President Biden also called on state and local governments to provide equivalent relief and for oil companies to increase refining capacities and decrease gas prices. But instead of tackling the problem, i.e. changing his anti-energy policies that he put in place day one as president... President Biden again pointed the finger at guess who. I'm doing my part. I want the Congress, the states, and the industry to do their part as well. And let's remember how we got here. Putin invaded Ukraine. And in just a moment, we'll be joined by... All right, and we have him now. There's votes taking place in the House, so it's a lot of uh, hustle and bustle. But joining us now, Texas Congressman Kevin Brady. He's the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee. He represents the 8th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Good to have you with us. Can you hear me? You know,
3: Tony, uh, I'm... Uh, Not able to get the uh, sound right now. We may want to come back in just a second, check this, uh, check the audio out if you don't mind.
1: Okay. Uh, We're having some technical difficulties here. We'll get that worked out. In the meantime, let me go uh, get an update from Capitol Hill on some legislation introduced today, protecting minors from medical malpractice. It was introduced in the House today. Uh, Joining me now is Travis Weber, Vice President, Policy and Government Affairs. Travis, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. Okay. uh, Give us a rundown on this legislation introduced in the Senate by Senator Cotton and Jim Banks in the House.
4: Yeah. So a good bill that we saw introduced today by those um, members that you mentioned. This bill provides a right of action for those children who've suffered harm because of a gender transition procedure that's been performed on them by someone who would purport to be a medical professional and. And perform these procedures on them, which include a number of things, including um, the provision of puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, or surgeries. Um, When that child under under 18, when they have the procedure performed on them, begins to suffer harm years later, they have the ability to bring legal action against those so-called professionals who have performed this procedure on them. So this is a positive step for vindicating the rights of these victims of this ideology, which we're seeing perpetuated uh, across our nation right now, including those by who claim to have the mantle of the medical establishment. So we're glad that Senator Cotton and, Senator, uh, and Congressman Jim Banks leading this legislation uh, in the House and Senate companion bills, and uh, we hope that this legislation moves.
1: Well, that is uh, good news and obviously a response to a lot of the problems that have been associated with this. We'll follow up uh, more tomorrow uh, on this legislation. Travis, thanks for uh for stopping by and uh giving us the update on this. Thank you. All right, joining us now. I think we've got the technical issues uh worked out. Uh, Kevin Brady, the 8th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman, can you hear me now? I can,
3: Tony. Thank you for being patient.
1: Hey, hey, no problem. I know it's a busy day on Capitol Hill. A lot happening, but before we jump into the president and his uh, gas tax uh, relief, so to speak, Um, Yesterday, history was made when uh, Myra Flores became the first Mexican-born woman sworn into Congress, and you spoke on the floor shortly after she took that oath. Can you comment on that?
3: Yeah, so Tony, it was a historic day, and just, uh, you know, I think maybe fitting, it was exactly 234 years to the day that America ratified its Constitution, and so it seemed appropriate uh, in order to form a more perfect union. Here we have a Mexico-born mexico, mexico born woman who came over legally at age six. Uh, her father uh, enthusiastically encouraged her to pursue citizenship. She worked in cotton fields with her parents, is a, is a certified uh, nurse, in effect, was on the front lines of COVID, and then won first Republican to win that uh, seat in more than 100 years. And I'll tell you, Tony, she is a real inspiration. Four children, married to a Department of Homeland Security, a border control, uh, a border patrol uh, officer. And, uh, you know, she lives, she's living the American dream, wants to protect it and give a voice to the voiceless in South Texas. And so I'll tell you, I've seen as you, as you have, a lot of people get sworn into Congress, but she's special and yesterday was a very special day.
1: You know, Kevin, that kind of, refutes the narrative of the Democrats that somehow Republicans, conservatives are anti-immigration. I mean, we welcome people, as you said, that want to be a part of the American dream, not tear it apart.
3: Yeah, and it was it was an emotional day, frankly, because we saw how hard she worked. And, and the truth of the matter is, you know, South Texas is changing. She carried, uh, Tony, uh, the biggest, most populous county that Joe Biden won by 13 points. She won that district. She beat a very credible pro-life Democrat, or so claimed, that had been in public office. And so, you know, I I know Democrats are trying to write that off, but I'll tell you, it is game on in that district because, in big part, because the border and their insistence on abortion on demand, it's changed in a big way.
1: Yeah. Uh, Kevin, unfortunately, the technical difficulty to, uh, ate up our time, and we're not going to be able to talk about the president's uh, gas uh, tax yeah. hiatus. So when your pockets are filled up with all that extra change, then we can uh, we can actually come back and talk about <laughs> it's it. It's
3: a deal, Tony. Thank you.
1: All right. Uh, Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas. Well, I, should, I shouldn't say I'm going to wait until his pockets are filled up with change because I'm not sure we'd ever get him back. $0.18 cents a gallon when you're paying almost 5 um president's got to do more. In fact, needs to go back and revisit the Keystone Pipeline and all of the second and third layers of regulations that are keeping oil exploration from going forward. All right, coming up, the highly anticipated Supreme Court decision on the Dobbs case didn't come down yesterday, but another ruling did, a very important ruling on religious freedom. In fact, we're seeing a progress, progression of pro-religious liberty cases. We're going to talk about that next year on Washington Watch. Don't miss it.
4: Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org/bible.
5: Learn more at frc.org forward slash life.
1: You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Glad to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Yesterday, as Americans across the country waited for the highly anticipated decision on the Dobbs case, which we'll still have to continue to wait for, the Supreme Court issued its ruling on another major case that was celebrated as a great victory for religious freedom and for school choice. The case is Carson versus Macon, and the Supreme Court ruled six to three and fa- in fact, it was the uh, chief justice that wrote the opinion. They said it was unconstitutional for the state of Maine to exclude otherwise eligible private schools from a student aid program simply because they were religious. Now, what can we expect this to uh, impact in terms of educational choice, religious freedom? Well, here to talk about this ruling is Leah Patterson, counsel with the First Liberty Institute and was the lead attorney in this case. Uh, Leah, welcome back to Washington Watch.
6: It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Uh,
1: first, uh, congratulations! A major victory and a job well done.
6: Thank you so much. We and our co-counsel at the Institute for Justice are so excited to see it come about.
1: So, give uh, give our viewers and listeners a quick background on this case.
6: All right. So, Maine has many school districts that cannot make their own public high school because there aren't enough students who live in the district. So for those families, the state will pay tuition up to a certain amount for those children to attend the public or private high school of their choice, unless that school is a religious school, at least until yesterday when the Supreme Court struck it down.
1: And so in this case, all things being equal, the only difference was that it was a religious school. Is that correct?
6: Yes, that's correct.
1: And so the chief justice uh, writing the opinion said that doesn't work.
6: Nope, that is religious discrimination and it violates the free exercise clause.
1: So what will be the implications of this because this is this is not the first. We've actually seen a series of religious liberty cases revolving around education going back to 2017. Uh, when a Missouri law barred churches from material for a playground. They ruled in favor of the church. Then we had a, a case out of Montana dealing with uh, school choice. So w- what is this, what is this uh, telling us? What, what, can be, what will be the practical implications of this case?
6: Well, the practical implications are that if a state has a school choice program, and it doesn't have to have a state uh, school choice program, but if it does it cannot exclude religious schools from being an option under that program. And it doesn't matter if you classify the discrimination as religious identity-based or because it would involve a religious use of funding. It's both religious discrimination that violates the, the Constitution.
1: I mean, this could be quite big, Leah, going forward, because as as so many parents are fed up with public education and are leaning in on their elected officials at the state level, if we see school choice being advanced, that means that just because a school is religious, it can't be left behind or excluded.
6: Absolutely not. Parents are free to choose.
1: From a standpoint of religious freedom, you know, and there's so, and we've got another big case. First, liberty is involved in, and that uh, is uh, regarding prayer by Coach Kennedy. Are we seeing a court that is reestablishing a, a a better understanding and application of the First Amendment when it comes to the free exercise clause?
6: I think we're definitely seeing good progress on the free exercise clause. It's, it's definitely a strong clause, and it, it protects religious liberty throughout the country. So, you know, the Supreme Court could do anything, but we are hopeful.
1: Uh, not everybody's happy with this. Uh, we see ACLU and, and uh, the Humanist Association and uh, even the National Education Association uh, concerned about this because this would... Um, This could, quite frankly, break their iron grip that they've had on children across this country in the public school system.
6: Well, while I would not bemoan that in in any way personally, I I think the important point here is that Maine already had a school choice program. This doesn't take any money away from the public schools. There aren't any public high schools for these children to attend.
1: Yeah. Uh, But again, it goes back to the fairness. If they're going to let one institution do it they can't exclude another just because it has a religious foundation or a religious association so i think that's right you know it, it was interesting in in the um the opposition to this coming from the court was that they were concerned that this was they were more concerned about the establishment clause as opposed to the free exercise Clause. so it looks like we're, we're moving back to more of a balance between those two fundamental elements of religious participation or religious exercise in this country.
6: Well, you know, it's important to note here that the Supreme Court already declared almost 20 years ago that allowing religious schools to participate in school choice programs doesn't violate the Establishment Clause. So a state cannot make up an Establishment Clause interest that doesn't exist in order to justify religious discrimination.
1: But, in effect, that's what's been happening, and we're seeing a court uh, rectifying that and sending a very clear message when it comes to um, the free exercise of religion. I mean, it's one thing to have a belief, but you've got to be able to act on it, and that's really where uh, the rub has been uh, in the last few decades. Uh, Leah Patterson, I want to thank you for joining us, and again, congratulations to to you and First Liberty for uh, another job well done.
6: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be
7: with you.
1: Well, folks, it is uh, extremely important that we continue to press these forward. And, you know, um, these legal cases would not be there unless there were parents, plaintiffs that were willing to exercise their First Amendment rights. And, and all of these um, legal groups, First Liberty, Liberty Council, ADF, um, and there's there's others they wouldn't be able to do what they do to defend the First Amendment if it weren't for citizens willing to stand up. I'm telling you, we got a good court, and a lot of that is due to the last administration and President Trump and the fact that he prioritized these justices and judges on our federal courts, that we now have men and women who respect the Constitution and understand those rights that we were not that we were given. Those rights come from God. But they recognized government was to protect them. that's That's what this court ruling does. All right, still more court rulings to come. We're going to be tracking that very closely. But coming up next, the Senate voted 64 to 34 last night to put on a fast track, a new gun control piece of legislation. We're going to talk about it next with Senator Josh Hawley. Don't go away.
7: so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at standcourageous.com.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Yesterday, the U.S. Senate voted 64 to 34 to take up a gun control measure that has been the subject of bipartisan negotiations. Text for the 80-page bill was released just an hour or two before yesterday's vote. And now the legislation is on a fast track with proponents hopeful that it will be signed into law next week after passing the Senate and the House. So what is in the bill, and why did only 14 Senate Republicans vote for it last night? Here to talk about this and more is Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. He serves on four Senate committees, including Armed Services Committee, the Committee on Homeland Security, and the Judicial Committee. Senator, welcome back to uh, the program.
0: Tony, thanks for having me. All
1: right, the bill was voted on by... uh, I mean, it was, it was voted on, which is very little time to to read it. Um, isn't that a problem?
0: <laughs> yeah, you think you'd want to read a bill pretty carefully before you vote on it, particularly one that affects people's fundamental rights. And the Second Amendment is a fundamental right. The United States Supreme Court has said that. It's right there in the U.S. Constitution. And listen, I mean, this is a classic Washington game. This bill was negotiated behind closed doors for weeks on end. Nobody could see what was going on. Nobody knew what was in it. And then about an hour before we voted, it gets dropped in our lap, and we're told, uh, you know, vote uh, vote it through and read it later. And, Tony, I'm never going to do that. But just as bad as what's in the bill. I mean, the bill gives money to states that have these red flag laws where you can have law-abiding citizens have their gun rights taken away from them without a showing of a crime, without being convicted of a crime. Nineteen states already have them. Many of them do not have due process protections, Tony, and they're going to get funding out of this bill, and other states will be paid to set up their own red flag laws. For, so for that reason alone, I'm, I'm going to be a no.
1: So, Senator, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the structure of these red flag laws, now I know they say it requires due process, but the structure of it appears to me that you're guilty until proven innocent.
0: Oh, that's exactly right. And and the the way that this works in terms of the procedure is that uh, somebody can, can go into court and, and say that, uh, So-and-so is is a danger and should have his guns taken away, and without the chance to defend himself in court or to have a lawyer present in court, that person can lose his Second Amendment rights. This is no crime, uh, no conviction of a crime, just an accusation. And in some states, Tony, in some states, it doesn't even have to be a law enforcement officer or a mental health professional who makes the accusation. It can be a former boyfriend, a former girlfriend. It can be a former spouse. It could be anybody, coworker. And uh, this bill would reward and fund all of that.
1: Now, th- there's a lot of focus in this bill uh, beyond the red flag laws to mental health issues. And 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 I'm, I'm always looking for the unintended consequences of legislation that's passed so quickly like this one. And, and my question for you, Senator Holly, could there be an unintended consequence of this legislation of discouraging people who need counseling or mental health care from seeking that fearful it could be used against them?
0: Well, I, I do worry about that, and I really worry about the interpretation of this bill. I'll just say that uh, I've heard uh, some of the bill's uh, leading advocates disagree among themselves about what precisely is in the bill and how it works. Uh, that is not an encouraging sign so uh, this is this is very significant legislation. It's going to be the biggest changes to federal gun law in thirty some years. And it is being rushed through at the 11th hour. And what we do know about it, frankly, isn't good. And here's the other thing, Tony. What we need to be focused on here are the criminals. We need to be focused on gun crime, people who bring guns to crimes, people who commit crimes with guns. This bill doesn't focus on that. It doesn't do anything to make our streets safer or our neighborhoods safer or put more cops on the street. It does none of that. And to me, that's just a huge, huge missed opportunity and wrong focus.
1: And again, it also brings more of the federal government into the public school system with um, Medicaid and with counseling. And I mean, I, I think that could be problematic. We've, we've got enough problems with the federal government in our public schools. This could make it even worse. In fact, uh, I understand that there's language here regarding Hyde Amendment to keep the, uh, the schools from doing what they've been doing and promoting abortion.
0: Yeah, I know that Hyde was a big sticking point uh, during the negotiations, Tony, or at least that's what I'm told. Again, uh, I'm not privy to any of this. We have to read about it in the newspaper. But uh, I'm told that Hyde was a a big sticking point at the end of the negotiations. And I come back to the fact that you know, even the folks who are supporting this bill disagree among themselves on how it will work and how it will actually operate, what the implications of it will be. So... I just in this environment, when we are in the middle of a national crime wave, you have a bill that does not actually focus on crime, but instead makes changes to fundamental rights. Why are we doing this?
1: You're right. Absolutely. I mean, you're right. We're in the middle of a crime wave as the former attorney general for the state of Missouri. You understand the effects of crime. We should be going after it lawbreakers, not restricting the rights of uh, law-abiding citizens. Senator Josh Holly, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Well, we'll continue to track this legislation. I, I'm, unfortunately, I think it is going to pass because you've, got, uh, you've already had uh, a number of Republicans that are on the record. You've got a dozen. But it only takes 10. We only have to have 60 votes to pass this in the Senate, and we've already got 10 that have committed solidly to it. I think a couple of them voted to uh, the procedural vote to allow it to move forward. It'll probably get 60, 61 votes in the Senate, and uh, for all the reasons that uh, Senator Hawley pointed out, I think it's bad. I think when you're dealing with a constitutional, fundamental right such as the Second Amendment, it should be the subject of extended debate and analysis. Well, coming up next, talking about violence, pregnancy care centers across the country have been the target of violence from the left. A center in New York was firebombed earlier this month, and uh, state officials are knocking at their door, not to help them and in- investigate the attack, but rather to harass them. What's going on? We're going to talk about it next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
7: What is biblical masculinity?
5: Visit FRC.org slash internships to apply.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. As I mentioned, June 30th is the end of FRC's fiscal year. This is when we determine what we can do in the coming year based upon the support of our partners. FRC, we receive no government money. We're able to advocate freely for biblical truth here in our nation's capital and all across this country because of folks like you that are standing with us and uh, it's never been more important to encourage and equip Christians to pray to vote and to stand for truth in our nation so let me ask you will you stand with us I have team, team members standing by to take your phone call at uh, 1-800-225-4008 that's 225-4008 to partner with us, or you can go to TonyPerkins.com as well between now and June the 30th. As I mentioned uh, earlier on Friday, uh, as mentioned earlier, on Friday and Saturday, I'll be speaking at the Louisiana Republican Party's Victory 22, 2022 at the Cajun Dome in Lafayette. I'll be uh, moderating a discussion with Dr. Uh, ben Carson on the priorities of a uh, post post-Row world. To find out more about that, go to TonyPerkins.com. About two weeks ago, the Buffalo, New York office of Compass Care Pregnancy Services was firebombed by pro-abortion activists who also spray painted, quote, Jane was here on the side of the building. So far, those responsible have not been brought to justice. But what's worse is that Compass Care is now being investigated by the state of New York for what? Well, for not providing abortions. Joining me now to talk about this is Jim Harden. He's the CEO of Compass Care Pregnancy Services outside of Buffalo. Jim, welcome to Washington Watch.
8: Tony, it's an honor to be with you today. Thanks for having me.
1: So, so Jim, give us a quick recount of the June seventh attack and what has happened since. Yeah. So, on
8: uh, the morning of June seventh, Tuesday morning, um, smoke and fire was emanating from the facility. Police and fire rescue responded and uh, found that the glass was broken in the facility and fires were lit And uh, um, on the side, as you mentioned, on the side of the building was scrawled the signature of uh, Jane's Revenge saying Jane was here. Jane's Revenge, of course, being the pro-abortion terrorist group with multiple cells, which they claim to have in all 50 states. Uh, this is a crime wave. We're right in the middle of it and we've, been, uh, we've received the brunt of their attacks so far. And they've, they've actually said that they're going to, uh, to do more of this kind of attack uh, and, and worse in the coming days, including a night of rage, uh, when Roe
1: is reversed. So, uh, and Jim, the state of New York has been helping you out. (laughs) The state of New York. Um, well,
8: no, what, what Kathy Hochul did, Kathy Hochul is the New York state governor and she essentially gave $10 million to private practice abortionists to increase their security, despite the fact that they have no threats. Uh, they're not the ones whose facilities are burning. Um, and, uh, and to, the, to add insult to injury, she signed a bill investigating pro-life pregnancy centers while calling us, now get this, Neanderthals. She she called Shit. us Neanderthals. I mean, this, let I, me, I let this, me
1: Go ahead. I'm going to play that clip so people will know what you're, you're saying. I've got a clip of her actually pledging this money to these abortion claims. Play clip number 12, please. We also know we have to protect these centers. So we allocated $10 million in grants for reproductive health care centers
6: because we've already seen the threats of anti-abortion violence. And the climate out there is just getting more extreme every single day.
1: Um, I, I guess I missed the attacks on the abortion clinics. It's only the uh, crisis pregnancy centers in the churches and the pro-life organizations that have been ta- attacked. Now we're almost up to 60 of them. But you at your entity, your care pregnancy center, you can't have access to these $10 million?
8: No, uh, it, it's specifically geared towards abortion clinics. And uh, we, of course, don't provide a refer for abortion because of what we believe. Uh, and we're being attacked for what we believe. We believe that um, abortion represents a fundamental misunderstanding about what it means to be human under God. We believe that all people are made in the image of God, and therefore deserving of blessing and protection from the womb to the tomb, without partiality. and uh, And the government's job is to protect all citizens, uh, not just the ones that agree with them, including the preborn ones. Which is why Roe versus Wade, the reversal of Roe versus Wade, is so important because the the, the ruling said in 1973, the word "person" does not apply to the unborn. That is classic partiality, and that is the the headwater for all social injustice.
1: Now, the the, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, has been in contact with you. Are they investigating the attack at your uh, clinic?
8: Yes, the FBI is involved. We actually notified the FBI two weeks before this happened, so they started a, a case on it because the threats from Jane's Revenge and encouraging their cells to uh, to act in this kind of violent way uh, were, were increasing. So then we're notified them and they've been involved since the beginning working with uh, local police. But uh, to date, we're not aware of any um, state or federal uh, law enforcement that's actually uh, adding resources to protect pro-life organizations and people. I'm um, My family had to relocate due to threats of intimidation.
1: And so, uh, You know, that that's that's so. So, Jim, the threats continued after the attack on your facility. Actually, the threats
8: increased. Um, Can I read to you what they're saying?
1: Really quickly? Uh, Yeah, it's it's a family channel, but uh, you can read. I know how how vicious the left is. So clean up the language. But yes, go ahead.
8: Yes. You've seen us in Buffalo, New York through attacking. We find joy. Um, And they promise to take increasingly drastic measures. Uh, They may not not come in the form of something so easily cleaned up as fire and graffiti, saying it's open season on pregnancy centers. Um, But we're not going to stop. This is God's call in our lives. Uh, Our our job is to be afraid of God and nothing else. And so we fear him, and he's asked us to do this work, and we're going to keep doing it.
1: Well, and uh, we've got folks across the country praying for you and for other care pregnancy centers that are doing this work that, quite frankly, Jim, it's because in large part because of men and women like you that we're at this moment where we're about to see Roe and Casey overturned because these 2,500, 3,000 clinics that dot the landscape of America ministering to women and men uh, has made a difference in changing hearts and minds. So uh, thank you for joining us today. And uh, we're going to continue to track this and encourage uh, the government to the degree we can. We're certainly working with members of Congress to uh, get the Biden administration to step up and protect those that are actually being attacked.
8: Yes, that's that's exactly what's needed. We need to protect. We need equal protection for pro-life people and organizations. And that's the government's job.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Jim Harden, thanks so much for uh, being with us today.
8: Thanks for having me. It's been an honor.
1: And uh, joining us now by phone, Andy McCarthy, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, uh, to discuss the federal government's weak response to the actual violence that's taking place. Uh, Andy, welcome back to the program.
2: Tony, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: So, um, I don't know if you caught that whole interview with Jim or I not, did. but the, the state of New York, actually now, uh, he didn't go into great detail, but they're investigating him because they passed, a, Hochul passed a law saying, you're not a real clinic unless you're doing abortions. And so instead of protecting him and investigating the people that firebombed his clinic, they're harassing him.
2: Yeah, well, I think if people don't have resort to the federal courts in these uh, blue states where uh, abortion is going to be protected more than uh, the rights of people who complain about abortion, uh, then sadly those people are not going to get satisfaction, at least under this current regime. I wish I had better news for you than that. I'm just trying to be real about it. Well, I think the data bears that out. I mean, as
1: we're looking at the, the I think, um, I haven't tabulated the exact percentage, uh, but the vast majority of these attacks, the 60-plus that have, uh, or nearly 60 that have taken place, have been in blue states because state and local officials are not enforcing uh, the law. So that brings me, Andy, to, you got to get to the federal courts. Well, you you, you got to have federal officials that are willing to investigate, and so far, The Biden administration has been very slow to even call out this violence as being over the top and unacceptable.
2: Oh, I I couldn't agree with you more. I think they've not only been slow. We've had uh, seven weeks, I think, now that we've been calling for the enforcement of a very straightforward law that says you can't protest outside the homes of Supreme Court justices. And the Biden administration not only won't enforce the law, they're Basically conning people uh, with this line that uh, as long as people stay on the right side of, you know, the violence line, uh, that uh, those people are those protesters are immune because they're engaging in First Amendment protected activity. As as you're pointing out, Tony, they are obviously not staying on the right side of the violence divide uh, if we look at it as an overall matter. But even with respect to the Supreme Court justices, violence is not our line with respect to court proceedings. Uh, You're not allowed to try to influence judges. Judges are not a, uh, you know, the judiciary is not a political body. Uh, We're not supposed to be subjecting them to political pressure. They're supposed to decide cases uh, according to what the rule of law says. So, you know, they won't even enforce that law for the protection of high-level government officials. Um, so obviously they're not tripping over themselves to protect ordinary people.
1: So how do we make the government do its job? I mean, how do you make the Biden administration actually enforce the law? Is there a, is there a check and balance? Is there a way to do that?
2: Well, I think there's no quick fix, unfortunately. the uh, You can file... Uh, federal civil rights claims, which I would then have to make their way uh, through the courts. That's a difficult uh, road to hoe. Uh, and, I, you know, I think the other thing is obviously political accountability. And unfortunately, right now, uh, the Republican side, I'm, I'm not trying to turn this into a partisan thing, but it, it simply is one. If you want to have uh, real oversight, a Democrat-controlled Congress is not going to do real oversight over a Democrat-controlled administration's failure to enforce the law. So we're in very dire straits right now, especially if uh, if the Justice Department, as I suspect, is tying the hands of the FBI. Uh, and I suspect that since the FBI is clearly not enforcing the law to protect the Supreme Court justices, it's got to be because the Justice Department has told them not to do that. Um uh, you know, I think that sets the kind of tone for enforcement, or I should say non-enforcement, That we're that's the climate we're in.
1: So, Andy McCarthy, let me step back and maybe have a, a broader discussion here. As a former assistant U.S. attorney, uh, you, you know that our system of government works when people obey the law. I mean, it only works if people obey the law. We're now entering a period where when you have government government officials that are flaunting the law, and this isn't the first time, but it's become very pronounced. I mean, our our whole republic teeters when we get to this point where it's basically everybody does what's right in their own eyes?
2: i I think that's exactly right. I think that people don't realize the dangerous position that we're trending toward. And I think, Tony, when I go around the country to speak about various different things, I've I've spoken about the issues we're talking about today, but this comes up in so many different iterations. What has people in the country really angry is the notion that we have a two-tiered justice system, that if you're a connected person, if you are associated with uh, basically the progressive establishment, if you're a member of it or – you know, somehow seen as a group that identifies as a, you know, part of that camp, you get one quality of justice. And if you are an ordinary person or even worse, perceived as being in the uh, adversary camp, you get a very different quality of justice. And I think if the American people, you know, having worked in the legal system for a very long time, uh, I, I think, What makes our legal system succeed and therefore bolsters the rule of law and allows us to have a flourishing society is general acceptance of the notion that we have equal protection of the law, that everybody gets a fair shake and the same fair shake in the system. And if that's gone, then you don't have the rule of law anymore. If people don't think the outcomes in our system are legitimate, then they're going to reject the system. And then you lose the rule of law and then you lose everything that allows us to have an orderly, flourishing society. So I I quite agree that I I think a lot of times um, when people are trying to achieve their immediate political objectives, they're missing the boat on, uh, you know, just how much we are teetering on the brink of losing something that's so fundamental.
1: Yeah. And and again, not um, that this was the first time, but it's been happening. And and I've I've spoken out in. Uh, very strongly against against what happened January the 6th. But I think that was a byproduct of this. When people are frustrated and they feel like there is a two-tiered system, that they feel like the system doesn't work, they do irrational things. And uh, that's what concerns me uh, going forward. If we do do not have government officials in both parties that will uphold the law and enforce it uh, equally. Andy McCarthy, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today on Washington Watch. Thanks so much, Tony. And, uh, you know, folks, if you know the Bible, this is not unlike what we read in the Old Testament, as I made reference to earlier, when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And it's important that we we work to preserve law and that starts with us obeying the law ourselves and teaching our children to do the same and advocating for those and working for those who will be elected to office that will uphold the law. I'm very concerned if we lose that element that has made America different. And I go back to John Adams who said our Constitution was made only for moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. Our government works because there's a moral foundation, which means we, we restrict our own behavior. That's what makes our system work. All right, folks, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time. I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, when you've taken your stand, by all means, be courageous and keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported.